0: Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Editor's Note. This week, we continue our journey through the changing year. For more information on how to use this inspiring resource by Florence Haynes, please see the episode entitled A Walk in February. We hope this week's episode will give you interesting ideas for special studies, as well as a nudge to go outside yourself to explore nature this unique time of year. A Walk in May from The Changing Year by Florence M. Haynes Then came fair May, the fairest maid on ground, decked all with dainties of her season's pride and throwing flowers out of her lap around. Upon two brethren's shoulders did she ride the twins of Leda, which on either side supported her, like to their sovereign queen. Lord, how all creatures laughed when her they spied, and leaped and danced as they had ravished been, and Cupid's self about her fluttered all in green. Spencer. Cupid, certainly, for have we not high authority to prove that spring is the only pretty ring-time? and that sweet lovers love the spring. And when a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love, what better opportunity for rustic courtship than the old May-day festivities, the setting up of the maypole, the crowning of the May-queen, and the pretty custom of bringing in the May, a ceremony in which the noblest of the land would take their part. For Chaucer tells us, Forth goeth all the court, both most and least, to fetch the flowers fresh, and branch and bloom, and namely, especially, Hawthorne brought both page and groom. Did not King Henry Eighth and Catherine of Aragon come from their palace of Greenwich one Mayday morning to meet the heads of the Corporation of London, who had been into Kent to gather Hawthorne? And the very name of St. Andrew's undershaft in Cornhill speaks of the time when the tall maypole, higher, says Stowe, than the church steeple, was erected in front of this church, and is, indeed, the very great shaft of Cornhill, mentioned by Chaucer, while another, equally celebrated in prose and poetry, stood in the strand and gave its name to Maypole Alley. The children's games all around the Maypole trit trit trot, and the more familiar Here We Come Gathering Nuts in May are survivals of the old Maypole ditties, as is the old Scottish Here We Go by Jingle Ring About the Merry May Tansy. Except for these poor remnants, the singing of the choir of Magdalene College on the roof of the tower at sunrise, and the ceremonies at a few schools where the festivities of Mayday are revived in a modified form, the old customs have completely died out, the singing village children with their doll and garlands and Mayday song, beginning, Remember us, poor mayors all, and the London chimney sweepers, Jack in the green, are things of the past. But the joyousness of the season is with us still, for in the words of an old minstrel, fields and plants become green again, and everything living recovers virtue, beauty, and force. Hills and vales resound with the sweet songs of birds, and the hearts of all people, for the beauty of the weather and the season, rise up and gladden themselves. Nevertheless, flowery May, who from her green lap throws the yellow cowslip and the pale primrose, is a treacherous month, and most nations agree in the sensible, if homely, advice: cast not a clout till May be out, and in April don't put off a thread, in May put on double. An Italian version is: Abriel ba un fil, magie adagie, jung slargo pugna. While invalids are warned that March will search, April will try, May will tell if you live or die. A French rhyme says, Quand le visant blanc entre en fleur, Crée toujours quelque fraîcheur. And the Germans, der Mai den Mayen bringet, Ist es besser als er ihn findet. Now corncrake, quail, and spotted flycatcher arrive. The first, also called the landrail, is a brownish bird, rather smaller than a partridge, whose curious cry, resembling the creaking of a gate on its hinges, is heard both day and night. The bird itself is seldom seen, as it lives among the tall grass in which it builds its nest, and amid which it can run at a rapid pace. When driven from its haunts by the cutting of the hay, it retires into the cornfields. The spotted flycatcher, on the contrary, prefers to live in the open, where it can more readily seize the insects on which it lives, and for which it waits, sitting on branch or rail, and suddenly dashing out as its prey approaches. So quick and adroit is the bird that a pair have been seen to visit their nest with food for their young five hundred thirty-seven times in one day. The pied fly is less common, and more of a woodland bird. The name of the genus is from the Latin musca, a fly, capere, to take. Now the first broods of thrushes and blackbirds have already left their nests. The young robins are preparing to follow their example. The mottled young of the black-headed gull and the baby lapwings or plovers appear. And the white-throat-builds and all the swallows, the latter making their nests under the caves of houses or outbuildings, while the chimney-swallow will sometimes prefer a chimney or a beam in a barn. The nests are built of mud and lined with feathers, the house-martin mixing soft grass with these, while the swallow strengthens the mud with bits of straw. Each species returns to its old nest, and two broods are reared during the season. Other busy builders are the pheasant, whose nest is a primitive heap of leaves and grasses, the winchat, sedge-warbler, greenfinch, willow-wren, blackcap, and yellowhammer, the latter especially connected with this month by the mysterious couplet... The brock, the toad, and the yellow, yellow yowling, get a drop of the devil's blood every May morning. In Scotland, the yellow hammer is known as the devil's bird, while a North Country rhyme designates it as horrid yellow yowling. Besides the numerous variants of its name, gold hammer, yellow yowling, yeldring, etc., it is known as the scribbling or writing lark, from the purple streaks on its eggs. Caterpillars of species too numerous to particularize are feeding on leaves and grasses, while butterflies and moths disport themselves in the still air. It is easy to distinguish between the two if we remember that a butterfly, when resting, closes its wings over its back at right angles to its body, and a moth either spreads them or folds them longitudinally. These closed wings afford a striking example of the theory of protective colouring. The mingled shades of brown on the under surface of the wings of tortoise shell or peacock butterfly, for instance, blend perfectly with their surroundings, and the mottled green on the underside of the orange tip, resting on some umbelliferous flower, corresponds so exactly with the colouring of the plant that it is difficult to distinguish the two. In the same way, the tints on the folded wings of a moth melt perfectly into the greys and yellows of the tree trunks, and. In the case of such insects as the tiger, cinnabar, or red or yellow underwing moths, completely hide the brilliant colors of the lower pair. Again, the antennae of a butterfly are thickened at the tip, while those of a moth are bare at the end. In the case of the larger moths, the antennae are often plumed. The caterpillar of a butterfly changes into a hanging chrysalis with rigid sides, tinged with the metallic luster that gives it its name, from the Greek chrysos, gold, whereas that of a moth becomes a round pupa, frequently enclosed in a cocoon, though some caterpillars, as that of the death's head moth, bury themselves in the ground when approaching the pupal state, and others, as that of the magpie moth, simply fasten themselves by a few threads to leaf or paling. Among the noticeable butterflies of the month are the swallowtail, largest of British butterflies, and the little blue, the smallest, with a wing expanse of three quarters of an inch from tip to tip, the scarlet admiral with broad red band and white spots, the large and the small white, the dingy and the grizzled skipper, the speckled wood butterfly or wood argus, so called from the eye-like spots round the margin of its lower rings, the glanville and the heath fritillary. Among the moths are the emperor moth, with the beautiful eye like spots which have given it its scientific name, Saturnia pavonia, from pavo, a peacock. The eyed and the elephant hawk moths, the cinnabar and the peppered moth. The hawk moths are so called from their strong and rapid flight. The eyed hawk moth is easily recognized by the spots on the lower wing. The elephant hawk moth takes its name from a curious resemblance of the forepart of the body of its larva to the trunk of an elephant. The well-known cockchafer, or maybug, belongs to the genus of Scarabeidae, or chafers, with long legs especially adapted for digging. The clock, door, or watchman beetle, with shiny wingcases, is also a member of this order, as is the sacred scarabeus of Egypt. The eggs of the common cockchafer are laid in soft soil, and for three years the grub lives underground feeding on the roots of grasses and other plants, and so destructive is it that whole meadows have been ruined in this way. In winter the grubs hibernate, and in their third year they enter the pupil state. The beetle is developed some months before it appears, as it remains underground till spring, when it proceeds to work further havoc, this time among trees, the leaves of which it devours voraciously for the few remaining weeks of its life. The pretty little ladybird was probably originally Our Lady's Bug, that is, Beetle. Indeed, it is still known as Ladybug, both in the United States and some parts of England, while the German name is Marine Kaffe, Maikat or Maikäferchen. In Bretagne, it is La Petite Vache du Bon Dieu, the good god's little cow. In Spain, too, it is Vaca de Dios, and White calls it Lady Cow in his calendar. In Sussex it is God Almighty Cow. Swedish names are Our Holy Virgin's Bower Maid, or Gold Cow, and another German name is Guldvogel, Gold Bird, while in Holland it is Our Dear Lady's Little Beast. The children's rhyme, Lady Ladybird, Lady bird, fly away home, your house is on fire, your children all gone, all but one that lies under a stone, fly away, ladybird, ere it be gone, is said to be derived from the German folk song, of which the second verse runs, Marienwürmchen, fliege weg, dein Hausche, die Kinder schreien, so sehr, wie so sehr, die Buse spinne, spinnt sie ein, Marienwürmchen, fliege hinein, Deine Kinder schreien sere. A Prussian version may be translated: May bird fly. Thy father is at the war. Thy mother is in Pomerania. Pomerania is burnt. May bird fly. To see a ladybird is lucky, and the more one sees, the greater the luck. If it crawls over a girl's hands, it is measuring them for her wedding gloves. And a South Country rhyme adjures it: Bishop, Bishop Barnaby. Tell me when my wedding's to be. If it be tomorrow day, open your wings and fly away. The largest British species is the eyed ladybird, with yellow-ringed black spots on its red wing cases. Unlike most ladybirds, which prey on aphids, it is a vegetable feeder. The small 24-spot ladybird is about an eighth of an inch long, its thick red down, spotted with various black dots and patches, in rare cases absent. The 10-spot ladybird is rather larger than the 24-spot, but less than a sixth of an inch in length. The number of spots varies, as does the color, but the insect may be recognized by its yellow legs. The 7-spot ladybird has black legs, three black spots on each wing case, and one at the base, common to both. The 13-spot ladybird, with yellow or orange back, is not often seen. The common mayfly, like the cockchafer, passes the major portion of its life in the larval state, for it may be two or three years before the larva becomes a pupa, emerging not a perfect insect, but still encumbered by a delicate robe. In this state, known as the sub-imago, the creature, the green and the grey drake of anglers, rests upon a stem or tree trunk for a time, then, casting off its final covering, emerges as the perfect insect with gauzy wings and three delicate bristles for tail. Its life now is short, for after a day or so of happy aerial dances, it drops its eggs into the water in which it lived so long as a grub, and dies. The mayfly is of ancient lineage, tracing its ancestors to the Devonian period. The old adage, March winds and April showers bring forth May flowers" is abundantly justified, for so numerous are the different varieties of blossom on every hand, that it is impossible to name more than a selection; and foremost among these stands the hawthorn, the Mayflower par excellence, though the lady's smock sometimes takes that name, and the Lily of the Valley was formerly the May Lily, and is still the Maieblume of the Germans. The hawthorn or whitethorn always figured so prominently among the various blossoms employed for bringing in the May that by a natural transition the name of the month was bestowed upon the plant. Though Herrick's invitation to Corinna is so well known one can hardly forbear to quote his description of how each field turns a street, each street a park, made green and trimmed with trees, see how devotion gives each house a bough or branch, each porch, each door, ere this an ark, A tabernacle is made up of white thorn neatly interwove. And Spencer writes, Youth's folk now flocken in everywhere To gather may-buskets and smelling-brier, And home they hasten the posts to dight And all the kirk-pillows ere daylight With hawthorn buds and sweet eglantine And garlands of roses and sops in wine, carnations, Oh, that I were there to help in the ladies their Maybush bear. The Shepherd's Calendar This bough of hawthorn over door or window was considered a protection against witches. But, on the other hand, it is unlucky to sweep with the broom of May, for if you do you'll sweep the head of the house away. Neither must one dig up a hawthorn bush, for, like the Lady Fern, these are under the special protection of the fairy folk. Old and lonely trees are their favorite trysting places, and is any man so daring as dig one up in spite, he shall find the thornies set in his bed at night. In the east the hawthorn is an emblem of hope. The Greeks used its wood for bridal torches, and Athenian brides wore it as a garland. The plant, too, has sacred associations, for the crown of thorns is said to have been woven from it. Then was our Lord led into a garden, and there the Jews scorned him, and made him a crown of the branches of the abespine, that is, whitethorn, that grew in the same garden, and setting it upon his head. Sir John Mondeville. Hence the French call it L'Epine Noble, and the Germans Christdorn, while, according to the French tradition, the tree moans and sighs on the eve of Good Friday. The Glastonbury Thorn, which blooms about Christmas time and again in spring, has its own special story. The original tree was destroyed by the Puritans. The name hawthorn is derived from Anglo-Saxon haga, English ha, a hedged enclosure. The scientific title from the Greek kratos, strength, from the hardness of the wood. Other trees and shrubs in flower this month are the horse chestnut, sycamore, hornbeam, crabapple wild cherry, mountain ash or rowan, scots fir or pine, spindle tree, holly, guelder rose, and barberry, while oak and ash are racing to unfold their leaves, eagerly watched by those who hold that if the oak is out before the ash, then the earth will get a splash. If the ash is out before the oak, then the earth will get a soak. The custom of wearing a sprig of oak on May 29th the anniversary of the restoration of the House of Stuart was general throughout England till quite recent years, and many who read this will doubtless remember their anxiety to obtain the necessary twig for Royal Oak or Oak Apple Day. The crab apple and wild cherry are the ancestors of our cultivated fruits. The cider of the ancient Britons was probably a form of cider, and the original pomatum was prepared from apples, Hence, it is suggested the names pomade and pomatum from the Latin pomum, an apple. The morella cherry is a descendant of the wild cherry, or gian. The sweet varieties have been obtained from the dwarf, or red cherry, which may be distinguished by its smaller size and smooth leaves, those of the wild cherry being downy on the undersurface. The bird cherry has its flowers in hanging clusters and is less common. The greenish-yellow flowers of the sycamore, or greater maple, are also pendulous, those of the field maple, erect. The name sycamore was given in mistaken identification of this tree with the sycamore fig of Palestine. It is the Plain of Scotland, though the real plane tree, which also flowers this month, is the Oriental Plain, so familiar to dwellers in cities, whose round fruit has earned for the tree its American names of buttonwood and buttonball tree. In the hedges we find the sweet-scented wild clematis, virgin's bower, or traveller's joy, as Gerard calls it, the only British species, also known as old man's beard, from its white tufted seeds. The black bryony with heart-shaped, and the white with five lobed leaves. Various vetches and vetchlings, the tufted horseshoe vetch with yellow flowers and pods resembling a string of horseshoes placed end to end, the crimson or grass vetchling, with grass-like leaves, no tendrils and deep-red flowers, is uncommon. The hairy tear has pale blue flowers, while the bitter vetch, with purplish-white blossoms, grows in rocky woods. In woods, too, we find the exquisite lily of the valley, the old ladders to heaven. A decoction of the blossoms, says Gerard, is good against the gout and comforteth the heart." Solomon's seal is possibly so called from the resemblance of its greenish-white flower clusters to an old-fashioned bunch of seals, but another explanation is that it took its name from its efficacy in knitting together, soldering, or sealing broken bones, etc. And Gerard tells us that the root of Solomon's seal, stamped while it is green, and applied, taketh away in one night, or two at most, any bruise, "'black or blue spots gotten by falls. "'The pretty blue flowers of the bugle "'contrast with the blossoms of the yellow pimpernel "'or wood loosestrife. "'Wood germander or wood sage is easily recognized "'by its wrinkled, sage-like leaves and strong scent. "'Unmistakable, too, is the broad-leaved garlic or ramsons, "'spite of the strong resemblance of its leaves "'to those of the lily of the valley.' It is the most common of the garlics, of which there are ten species, most of these bearing red or pink flowers. The wood spurge, like others of its genus, five species flower this month, may be recognized by the whorls of golden-green bracts united into a round cap. The sweet woodruff, with tiny jessamine-like flowers and whorls of pointed leaves, was so called because, when dried, it yields a pleasant scent of new-mown hay. Anne Pratt tells us that the leaves will preserve their odour for years, and if laid among clothes, are an excellent preservative from moths. Old records found in the books of London churches show that they were once hung up in garlands within their walls. The herb Paris, Paris quadrifolia, is also called true love-knot, from the whorl of four equal leaves which give it its scientific name, from Pars, Equal. The plant is unmistakable, as is the tway blade, an orchis with two broad, strongly ribbed leaves opposite one another. The green winged meadow orchis blooms this month, and the rarer fly orchis, and various others. The meadows are gay with the buttercup, the little children's dower, the bouton d'or of France. The reflexed sepals of the bulbous buttercup distinguish it from the common buttercup with spreading calyx, and the creeping buttercup, so troublesome in gardens. The clover, or trefoil, is so called from the Anglo-Saxon cloverwort, in reference to its cleft leaves, which triple leaves were formerly in high repute as a charm against witchcraft or other evil. Woe, woe to the white who meets the green knight, except on his falchion arm. Spell-proof he bear, like the brave St. Clare, the holy trefoil's charm. The white clover is used as shamrock in some parts of Ireland, but the black medic is the plant most usually worn on St. Patrick's Day. The ragged robin is of the Campion genus. Its Latin name, Flos cuculi, means cuckoo flower. For this, and not the lady's smock, was the cuckoo flower of our ancestors, and the plant referred to by Shakespeare in King Lear, Act IV, Scene Four? Harlock's hemlock, nettles, cuckoo flowers. Harlock may be charlock, or wild mustard, or perhaps hardock, thought to be the birddock. Drayton, in his eclogues, speaks of the honeysuckle, the harlock, the lily, and the lady smock. By the roadside grow the tormentil, yarrow, pansy or heartsease, scarlet pimpernel, fumitory, red campion or bachelor's button, mousier ear, hawkweed, earth or pig nut, beaked parsley, goose grass or cleavers, tower mustard, various cresses, and the greater and the ribwort plantain, the former distinguished from the latter by its broader leaves and purple anthers, those of the ribwort plantain being white. Another name for the greater plantain is waybread, probably a corruption of its old Saxon name of wabret. The common lady's mantle is abundant on moist, and the smaller parsley peart, or field lady's mantle, on dry soil. On wasteland, like budding bullion, the spiny gorse is thick with fragrant bloom beloved of bees. And the broom adds its quota of cheerfulness, This plant gives its name to the domestic implement originally made from its twigs, but it must not be gathered this month, for if you pluck the broom in May, every good housekeeper rues the day, the result being a drought all through the summer, and to sweep the house with blossomed broom in May entails a similar fate to the sweeping with a hawthorn broom previously mentioned. The curious parasitic toothwort may be found among dead leaves and on the roots of trees. On moist ground grows the buck or bog bean, the common butterwort with violet flower and rosette of pale green oily looking leaves, and the marsh rattle. In streams and standing water are the water crowfoots, and in the former are the watercress. On banks and margins flourish the yellow iris or corn flag the common comfrey, the water avens, the brook-lime, and the forget-me-not, with its romantic tradition of the gallant lover, when the blossoms blew to the bank he threw, ere he sank in the eddying tide, and, Lady, I'm gone, thine own knight true, forget-me-not, he cried. The farewell pledge the lady caught, and hence, as legends say, the flower is a sign to awaken thought of friends who are far away. By the seashore, we find the wild cabbage, forerunner of all our garden varieties, the various species of scurvy grass, so invaluable in olden days to sailors deprived of fresh vegetables, and the pretty little sea pink, or thrift, sometimes called sea gilliflower, though more appropriate to its bunch of rosy blossoms is its other old English name of ladies' cushions. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.